Hey, y'all, thanks for tuning in to the Weird One Podcast. This space, it's a collection of talks ranging anywhere from sermons from our ministry, creative thoughts, breakout sessions at things like Weird One Conference, as well as some inside scoops on leadership. We hope it helps you. If you want to keep up to date with everything Weird One, you can go to weareoneyouth.com or follow us on social at WAO Youth. We hope you're blessed. Hey, thanks for joining us for what we're calling Acts. Extensions. It's kind of like the 1.5, 2.5, 3.5, wherever it lies, version of what we're preaching on a Wednesday night. And we're uh, in a year that is not like any other year for us. The vision is keep us dangerous. Keep us dangerous. Uh, there, there's something about it, even when I say it, that's in my spirit. Like, I mean it. And I'd even like to speak to some people at the very least as we kind of get into this talk that if maybe you're struggling to believe God, I think a starting place for people trying to believe the scriptures and believe God, before you even do that, you believe the person that you're listening to. And I think the the power and the beauty of people sharing the gospel is before you ever believe it for yourself, you can believe that someone else believes it. And I believe the scriptures with everything in me. I do not question for a second that it is the truth of God's word. And so this, uh, this extension specifically is like a 1.5 version to a message I just preached called Supply and Demand. Now, if you haven't watched that yet, stop now, go in the description and go watch that. Click it right now, watch it. Then you can get to this because I'm going to really kind of cover Acts 1 verses 12 to 26 in this, uh, this conversation today. Uh, this is much more chill than I'm normally doing. I'm usually walking around and yelling and preaching and excited, but this is going to be more just like a teaching, a conversation in God's Word on some things that maybe uh, I wouldn't typically preach on, but I still think we need to learn them. I'm going to cover the entire book of Acts this entire year, and I've never preached on what we're going to talk about right now in my entire life. I've never taught on it, never done anything with it. And so I'm excited. I'm going to start right here at verse 13 to give you context. And if you've watched Supply and Demand, you're already good to go. But to give you a little bit of context, if you're tuning in, the apostles, um, the, the women that have followed Jesus, the people, there was 120 of them, they travel back from the Mount of Olives. They come back to Jerusalem. And the Bible says here in Acts 1, verse 13, that when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room. Now listen, before it, that was a brand and uh, a church and albums from a ministry, Upper Room, which shout out, they're, they're great. It was a space. It was a place that people would gather in very often. And so I think people get confused like, how do I spell this? Is it all one word? No, it's not. That's how they do it in their branding. It is Upper Room. Two words. They went to an upper room where they were staying that is, here, who's who, here's who were there, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Elpheus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. If you add it up here, there's 11. Judas is not present. We're going to talk about that um, from the apostles' perspective of how they viewed what Judas did when he betrayed Jesus. The question I kind of want to pose as we get into it today is, the upper room. Now, I think what the upper room is uh, famous for is really two things. The Last Supper and Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended, it says it's in an upper room. Is it the same upper room is the question that I want to answer. 
You know, like when you refer to this space, was it multiple locations? Was it multiple things happening? You know, Jesus was over here because if you read that account, you know, there was a space that Jesus asked to be set up so he could meet with his disciples. And then Acts 2, they're all meeting. And 120 specifically, we know we're meeting together. Is it the same space? So the upper room specifically, it was an upper room. It was an upper level of the, the residence, the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. Now, I'm going to do this in another extension, so I won't go deep into it now. But John Mark is sometimes called John, sometimes called Mark, and sometimes called John Mark. So just to make it easy for you, it's Mark, which is the second book of the New Testament. Uh, so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books, the Gospels in the New Testament. Mark wrote that, and this is who we're talking about, John Mark. Now, this is his mama's house where they're gathering here. We know specifically in Acts chapter 1, it's not just verse 13 to 15, but it's also in Acts 12 when Peter prison breaks, brother gets out, angel gets him out, I'll preach on that another time, comes to the door, he's knocking, shows up, and he's showing up to the same space in, in Acts 12, 12 in the upper room. Now, the Greek word here used for upper room in Acts, it differs from the book of Luke. Now, the reason it could be confusing is because Luke and Acts are written by the same person, the doctor, Luke. And he, if you were to read the, the Bible, you'd go Matthew, Mark, John, and then you go Luke, Acts, because Luke and Acts are sandwiched together. 33 years of the life of Jesus and Luke, 33 years in the book of Acts, they come together to complete a 66-year narrative of what Jesus began to do and what Jesus continued to do through the church. So when it refers to this idea of an upper room in the book of Luke versus Acts, it's using a different wording. When it refers to it in Luke with the Last Supper with Jesus, it's a different wording. So immediately some people could disregard and throw it off and say, well, it must be a different space. Maybe it's not. If you look in the Greek wording of it, it's not necessarily a different space or a different location, but it says that the space, according to the Greek, it's been modified or converted. So it would tell us that it's the same space, it's the same house maybe you grew up in or whatever, but there was a kitchen remodel, there was a bathroom remodel. Like, it's the same, but it's different. So someone, they would try to read it immediately, be like, no, 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 it's not the same space. But the beauty of it, what's so cool about it, is that the Greek tells us that it's the same space, but it's completely different conversion. It's completely different remodel. So in the book of Luke, when they have the Last Supper there with Jesus, it was set up in a certain sense where they would be able to sit and eat. I want to even say that some had said the way their tables were set up, it was like an L where they would all sit kind of like this. And what we see in, in a lot of like uh, teachings and stuff, it was like a straight table, but it was more set up like an L is what I've studied and learned. But that space set up for them to eat, break bread. We know communion today. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It was the same space, but now it was not set up for eating. It was set up for gathering. It became essentially the local space there in Jerusalem in John Mark's mother, mother's house, Mary's house. It became the space, not just Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit would show up, but over and over and over again, they would gather in this space to do what? Have church, to be the church. They would gather in this space continually, not just a few disciples or the ones that were with Jesus or the ones that then waited in the upper room of the 120, but this was a space continually used. That's why we see in Acts 12, 
Peter shows up and knocks on the door to this house again because people were continually gathering here to be the church and to uh, encounter encounter Jesus and the Holy Spirit together. So they show up in this space. They're in prayer, the Bible says, and they're of one mind. They're in prayer. They're seeking the face of the Lord. And then I love this, verse 15. At this time, Peter stood up. I just want to stop there. Sorry, it's just like, I laugh at Peter. Like, now you got to remember, this is pre-Holy Spirit Peter, okay? Like, Peter was always sticking his foot in his mouth, cutting dude's ears off, sinking in the midst of the water. Like, bless a brother's heart. Like, at least he was trying. But like, Peter was Peter was kind of always all over the place. And so even when I read this, I just see it awkwardly. Like, it describes it. Peter stood up. Uh, uh, hey, hey, guys. You know, and like, he just kind of like, he would always take charge, but sometimes it was a little clunky. Flash forward, I'll preach it here soon. Acts chapter 2, once the Holy Spirit had got a hold of him, then when he stands up, completely different result. What does the Bible say? 3,000 people come to know Jesus at that point that he stood up. It's a lot different when he's standing up now, but what he has to say is legitimate here. He just kind of makes me laugh when I think of him. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. Now, I'm going to NASB, so it's got like some nice verbiage here. The brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together, 120 people, like I said. And this is what he says. Brethren, the scripture, meaning the Old Testament law, the word, it had to be fulfilled, meaning this was prophesied it was going to happen, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David, so the King David, they considered him a prophet, writing the Psalms and all this, concerning Judas. So this is here the... Uh, this is here the disciples thought about Judas, to give you perspective, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He settled this up for Jesus to be betrayed. For he was counted among us, meaning he was like, we let him in our inner circle. He was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. You know why I think that's just a profound thought? Is people that prematurely walk away Staying steadfast, be a part of the things of God, the church, the body, leadership, whatever God's called you to do. You leave it prematurely. He says, he already got his share in this ministry. What is he saying? But us, we're just getting started. The amount that Jesus has left for us to gain, the amount of people we're going to be able to touch, the amount that God's going to do in our lives, the amount that he's going to use us for, this is just the start. But Judas... He already got his share. He clocked out. Now, this man, Judas, acquired a field with the price of his wickedness. So his 30 pieces of silver, he acquired a field. And falling headstrong, meaning he hung a rope up over a tree. This is the historical proof of the Bible, what he did. And he hung himself from a tree. He bought a field so he could hang himself in that field. And falling headstrong, right? He burst open in the middle. Woo. Peter's just giving us the deets right now. And all his intestines gushed out. <laughs> oh, dude, you start reading the Bible, there's some crazy stuff like written about in the Bible. And it became known to all who are living in Jerusalem that in their own language, like everybody was talking about it, that this field was called a that is, field of blood. 
So feel the blood for two reasons. One, because literally he burst open and there was blood. But two, before that ever happened, it was already a field of blood. Why? Because he bought it with blood money. He bought it with money of betrayal. He then goes, purchases this land, hangs himself, and then it's literally now I feel the blood both figuratively and literally. For it is written, I want you to catch this just so you can piece together how the Bible works from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It mentioned David, right? How David spoke concerning Judas. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it. Meaning like Judas, he can be gone. Nobody else can replace that that space where he was from. But then he says, and let another man take his office, his space in the midst of us, 12. So these are two prophetic psalms that David wrote. The first one, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it. That's from Psalm 69, 25 in the Old Testament. The next part, let another man take his office. That's from Psalm 109, 8. As David wrote these psalms, they were literally prophetic words. Jesus quoted even some of them on a cross. Um, and when he was on, when he was dying, you got to think that David, in the midst of songs he was writing, moments with God, the Lord was using him through the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament to prophesy what was to come. So here in Psalm sixty nine and Psalm one hundred nine, it's prophesying that this was going to happen with Judas. That's why Jesus said, "Hey, whoever is going to betray me, you're going to dip, you're going to dip your bread right now in this cup." Jesus even knew it because he knew the Psalms that it was going to happen. So Judas betrays Jesus, but they're setting this up that another needs to take his place. So here's where Peter continues in verses 21 to 22. He says, Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us, meaning outside of the original 12, so Jesus is gone, there's 11 now, there were others that were called disciples, but they weren't the 12 disciples, but they were called disciples. There was some women, there was different men that would follow Jesus' ministry. He's saying, there was some that followed Jesus' ministry, meaning they accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. They saw, the, basically he's saying, they saw the miracles, they went into homes, they ministered, they were part, they saw it. Beginning, I want to start with people that were there at the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. So they saw from the point he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove all the way to the point that he ascended in heaven, which means they saw death, resurrection, all that. And it says this, right? One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, when they say witness, they're not just saying in general that anybody can testify and witness. That's what we're called to do. But specifically, we got to go back to Psalms. Let another man take his office a position, a specific office here among the 12. There was going to be a 12th disciple, or in this case now, in the book of Acts, Jesus is gone, so he's like pushing them out of the nest. Like, you got to fly, little birdies. They're apostles now, which means apostle means to be sent. They have a mission now. They want to complete the 12. Now, there's controversy with this because something like they didn't need to complete the 12, especially once the Holy Spirit shows up. It's like this word of God is about to spread like wildfire. I mean, so many people are going to get a hold of it. We don't need just 12. We need the world to know about Jesus and as many as possible to spread it. But the, the reason that I believe really strong, and as I, I hopefully will unravel some scriptures here, why I think they were trying to make sure they replaced the 12th is because they were trying to emulate what Jesus had shown them. So right or wrong or indifferent. They were trying to emulate Jesus showed them there was 12, which was a reflection of, 
of the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. But some would try to say, listen, do we need that? Like, why would you try to replace with this specific person? And to be honest, I'll, I'll share in a second, but the, re- the person they replaced with, he is not mentioned another time in the entire book of Acts. So that's why some people would argue was it wasn't necessary, because Paul became an apostle. You had Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, the list could go on, Aristarchus, Demas, like there's a ton of them, that come to know Jesus, spreading the gospel, it's going into the whole known world at the time. Was it necessary? But the reason I think it was, was for really two reasons. One, they were just trying to emulate Jesus. I think that even if we do the wrong thing for the right reason, truly, if we with our heart in our heart of hearts are trying to emulate what Jesus has shown us, even if it's not perfect, I think it still honors him at the very least. Number two, they were sent up the 12th to model the 12 nations of Israel. And specifically, if you go to Acts 15, it's called the, 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 the Council of Jerusalem. It was like a a model of essentially the authority of the church there where people would come and they'd be able to get the wisdom and everything necessary with the authority of the church. And they wanted to have that 12th seat full as people came to be able to come and be able to lead the church. They wanted somebody, Scripture is clear here, that they had witnessed Jesus' ministry, his miracles, who he said he was, his teachings. They wanted somebody who had seen his resurrection, his death and resurrection. That's very clear. That's a, that's probably another talk we'll get into at some point this year apologetically, but like, it's not just the resurrection that's essential. It's the crucifixion that's essential. And, and our belief in Jesus and Christian faith, it is essential because the, the, the crucifixion alone is one of the biggest things that Islam tries to refute. So somebody that was an eyewitness to both the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then they wanted that person, as is about to happen here in Acts 2, that would be full of the Holy Spirit, that would be able to continue to help lead the church. Let me continue, verse 23. So what'd they do? They put forward two options, two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. Make up your mind, man. Choose a name. And Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship. That's what they're trying to fill, the 12th apostleship. From which Judas, they're like, they're bringing it to Judas again, the truth, turned aside to go to his own place. You know what he's saying right there? Judas left the beauty of this ministry to go to hell. That's what they're saying right there. Like, he gave all this up for hell, is what Peter's saying right now. The reason I think that's interesting to point out is because people just think a lot of times that the Bible is just uh, flowers and fairies. And I, I, I think that understanding the depth of, if you watch Supply and Demand, there, there is commands of Jesus, not comments or requests, and they have a demand on our life. If we follow them, we are blessed. If we follow them, we get heaven. If we follow them, we get Jesus. But if we don't, he says here the result. Judas turned aside to go to his own place, meaning where he went, hell, it ain't where we're all going to go. So let me keep going here. I'm going to break down here these two people. The options here are Barsabbas and Matthias. And here's their issue. Both of them are equally qualified to be apostles. They're men of character. They had been eyewitnesses of Jesus in his entire ministry. And so this decision is difficult. They don't exactly know how to make it. 
because they're both good options. You ever been there before? You ever been there where it's like, I could do this or this, and it's both good possibilities. But there is one that I think God, in the end, leads us to, but it becomes difficult to almost know like how to make that decision a lot of times. So what they would do, because remember, they're following Old Testament procedures at this time. The Holy Spirit, Spirit hasn't come yet, which is going to be the game changer. And so what they would do, it was, it was a practice called casting lots. They would cast lots to try to determine God's will. You see this in verse 26. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. And so I don't know exactly how they did if it was like, as we do this, which I'll explain a couple of things that could have been, if it points to Matthias, or I don't know exactly what they did. But they cast lots, it fell to Matthias, and so he was added to the 11. So now we have 12 apostles. This practice of casting lots, you see it 70 times in the Old Testament referenced, and seven times, interesting, 70 and 7, because Jesus even said, forgive 70 times, seven times, that's interesting. 70 times in the Old Testament, seven times in the New Testament. The, the lot, it could have been various different lengths or types of sticks. It could have been like um, flat stones, almost like coins they could have used. Some kind of like, you know, we'd call it like a modern like dice, like, a di- like some die, right? Something like that. Uh, the, probably the closest equivalent of what we do today would be like flipping a coin. We'd go like call heads or tails. It's like you're... you're you, it's, we think it's like left up to chance, but we're making a decision. But specifically, when they would make a decision, you have to understand, in the Old Testament, when God would allow the Israelites to cast lots, they genuinely believed that God was in it. And so they would believe that if there was a given situation where they didn't know exactly how to make a decision, they might cast lots for the division of land. They might try to like figure out a role or a function of like a Levite in the temple, like somebody's going to roll in the temple, and they're trying to figure out exactly how it's all going to work. So they would cast lots. This is what God allowed them to do. You see this also with the sailors on the ship. When Jonah's traveling, Jonah is trying to run away from the call of God in his life. You don't know the story gets solved by a huge fish. It's, it's historically not only proven, but it's happened in this day and age as possible. Crazy stuff, right? To swallow by fish, God makes crazy stuff happen to make sure that we're going to follow his will. He's running away, and the sailors literally cast lots, and they're just trying to figure out which God is bringing wrath upon this ship. We got to cast lots to figure this out. You also see this with the Roman soldiers in Matthew 27, verse 35. They're casting lots. In this case, though, it was not for God's will. They were not serving the Lord at all. They were gambling. And Jesus had a garment that had, like, if you look at this this garment I'm wearing, you can see the stitch line. Well, he had a garment with no stitch lines on it. It was very rare. It was It was very important. And it was actually worth something. But it was kind of dumb because they cast lots in Matthew 27, to try to see who was going to get it, because it says they want to divide up his garments. And, and there's a lot of scripture that actually um, prophetically brings all that together in the book of Psalms and stuff like that. It's, it's important, but we don't got time for that today. Let's just understand the idea of casting lots. When the apostles did it, you have to understand, they were either following what they had heard their ancestors say, or they were following the recording of scripture. You see it in Proverbs 16, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. 
Now they, whether it was like some sort of coin type thing or sticks, whatever they did, they didn't believe it was chance, like flipping of a coin, heads or tails. They didn't believe it was chance. They literally believed that the Lord was making the decision for them. And so the reason that they they took this into account here, that the Lord was making the decision, and all of this is about to get thrown off in a crazy way once the Holy Spirit comes. They believed they were being led even in this moment. It's because if you go verses earlier before Peter spoke and they chose Matthias, in, in uh, Acts 1.14, before they cast lots, it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. It wasn't like, well, let's see what happens, boys. It was like they prayed, they sought the face of the Lord. They said, Lord, as we make this decision, we know it's a weighty decision. We want you in it. Would you please be in it? And then, I don't know, sticks or coin, or I, I don't know what they did. Die, right? But it wasn't by chance. It, they knew it was going to be through Christ. They knew that God's hand was on what they were about to do, that the Lord was leading them. But with this said, can I just throw all that out the window and tell you the hope that we have and what they found out very quickly in the next chapter. The power of the Christian life. You will see starting here in Acts 1, do you realize there's seven times that they cast lots in the New Testament? But that was in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts 1. After Acts 1, you will not see another time throughout the entire book of Acts or the rest of the New Testament where they ever cast lots again. Why? Because in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. And now every decision that we must make, we can do through three primary things ways. Number one, the power of the Holy Spirit itself inside of us, bearing fruit in our lives, convicting us, stirring us. Number two, prayer, seeking the face of God, as you saw they just did here in even verse 14 seeking the heart of God and what he wants. Three, fasting. You can see this in all the different accounts. You can see in Acts 6, which I'm going to preach here shortly in issue 3 here of this volume 2. In Acts 6, they're choosing the seven, which Paul later calls deacons. They're like helpers there in the church that were set up to work alongside the pastors, the elders, the bishops, whatever word you would use, but those are, these are all scriptural words, right? When they're choosing them, they didn't cast lots. They prayed. They lean into the Holy Spirit, and then they made a decision. If you look at Acts 13, when Paul and Barnabas are set up to be apostles, the first ones that literally are sent on a missionary journey, it says that they did two things. They prayed, and they fasted. Acts 1 that I just referred to is the last time you will find in all of Scripture that they did this. No more needing to cast lots. I just want to encourage you, you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you've called upon the name of Jesus, then you have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. It is a package deal. With his name comes his power. The way you activate making decisions in your life to allow the Holy Spirit to be your guide is through prayer and fasting. It is through uh, gaining wisdom from those that have gone before you. It's, it's from accountability and relationships. It, there's so many practical things but we, we know more flip a coin to decide what God's will is for us. Can I tell you, God wants you to know his will more than you do. I promise you. And if you are willing to simply receive what he has, he will supply, but there is a demand. If you'll receive what he has for your life, led by the Spirit, full of faith, prayer, fasting, whatever it takes to get there, you won't need to make things chance that are simply Christ. You won't need to make things just a, a, a possible potential or happenstance. 
It can be divine appointed designated days of your life, led by the Spirit, be used of God for His glory, and you do not have to question. I don't live my life questioning if I'm in God's will. I get to live my life celebrating that I'm in His will, and I believe that for you. And so, Father, this quick talk, this quick teaching to hopefully unpack these few verses in Acts 1, I pray that, Lord, you'd speak to the heart of whoever is listening right now more than the knowledge of just learning these scriptures and unpacking what they mean a little bit, I pray that you would intentionally, um, deliberately, Lord, speak to their heart and encounter them today, that they would in a greater way know your will, know your love, and know that, God, what you have for them through the power of the Holy Spirit is more than they could possibly imagine. Paul said, it is immeasurably, immeasurably more than we could even ask or imagine. God, I just challenge people even listening to dream bigger, because at that point, God's still got something better. I thank you for the people that are watching this, tuning in, sharing this, however um, we find each other. I thank you for them. Bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. My love.